You're listening to the Dirty Dozen Podcast, episode 35. This week, we revisit 1989. Let's go back to the 80s, where the net was Aquanet, where the mobile phones were larger than a brick, and Tony Danza was still a boss. Oh, wait, was that Angela Merkel? Anyway, let's fire up the 1.21 gigawatts in our Doc Brown modified DeLorean because we're accelerating to 88 miles an hour with your time-traveling hosts, Rob Heitman, and live via Zoom from Biff Tatter's Pleasure Paradise Hotel and Casino, Jacob <laughs> Newkirk. Hey, Jake, how are you doing? <laughs> wow, that was really good. There was some good 80s in there. <laughs> uh, you know, I went right for the Back to the Future 2 there, where he had the, his own casino or whatever. <laughs> yeah, good old Biff. Well, welcome to the Dirty Dozen Podcast, <laughs> where we discuss the best 12 songs from 1989 while enjoying a drink or two. I'm Rob. I'm Jake. Hey, I'd like to thank <laughs> everyone who's been active and joining in on our conversations on Facebook page. Although I can't give a shout out to everyone, I'd like to give a special shout out to Elizabeth Von Busch, Michelle Stewart, and Alex Hennon. And thanks to everybody. Really appreciate it. Nice. Well, back in 1989, popular movies included Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Batman mm. with Jack Nicholson, of course, as the Joker, Back to the Future 2, The Little Mermaid, Christmas Vacation, Major League, When Harry Met Sally, and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Wow, that's a big year. So, Jake, what do you remember about 1989, if anything? Yeah, specifically, I don't know. It's all a blur. I mean, I was only, honestly, nine in 89, so... I really wasn't paying attention to time much, but all those things are familiar to me. Yeah, it was it, it was like I was actually uh, just going off to college. Yeah, so I'm I'm pretty old here, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it was, it was great. I was off to Arizona and exploring life, pretty much. And, yeah, uh, pushing my boundaries in a lot of different ways. So I started playing a band there. It was a lot of fun. Anyway, we were thinking about what, what the ultimate '80s drink. And one word rose above all the others, and that word was Zima. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, they no longer make Zima. But on their Facebook page, Zima published the recipes, and we're actually drinking it now, or I am. I have it right here. That's right. Uh, we made our homemade Zima. Yeah. So uh, have a sip. See how it's you like a, it. It's a good color, huh? It's kind of kind of cloudy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, mine's like, mine's the same. See mm -hmm. it in there. I poured it into a, a red solo cup. I don't know if, um, because the ingredients, I uh, obviously like amplified it to, to make it a bigger serving. Right. But I think it may have screwed up some of the portions. I think there may be too much lime, not enough sugar. And it's not as bubbly. Is yours bubbly with the club no, soda? No, it's not that much. It's just got little sort of uh, bubble hits yeah. with it. Which is fine. I think it could use a little more. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you can make it all with, uh, instead of, the, there's one part water and one part club mm -hmm. soda, but if you just switch it all to club soda, it would be a lot more bubbly. Well, that's a good point. I'll try it again. I don't remember <laughs> Zima tasting this good. I used the right <laughs> proportions. Pretty much the alcohol ingredient in it is vodka. And yep. then there's this weird drink you get only in Japan, which actually tasted not bad on its own. I don't know if you tried it. No, I did. I took a little sip out, yeah. out of the can. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's not bad. I thought it was going to be carbonated, though. That was what was surprising. Yeah, it no, was uncarbonated just, beverage. Yeah. yeah. What's it called? Calpico or something? Yeah, Calpico. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. Anyway, before we begin, we'll be critically reviewing specific songs from each album, which we'll share under 30 seconds of each tune, unless there is a specific issue or criticism that we may need to highlight, and then we may do a second clip. We have made Apple Music and Spotify playlists. Just search Official Dirty Dozen on either service to listen to each of our lists in their entirety. 
This way, all the money for playing tunes will always head back to each artist. We've also created a current episode playlist, which will automatically update with each podcast the current podcast. So subscribe once and always be updated. Look for the link to our YouTube playlist as well, because sometimes music sounds better when you see it. For this series, we're thinking, I'm thinking we may end up going back to our original format with two separate lists, like we did in the first couple episodes, like back yeah. in the Soundgarden days. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It makes it so, less of a, a competition. Yes. Well, or more of a competition. It'll just be clear <laughs> yeah. who's right. Who has the better list, yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. So let's start this puppy off. Jake, what's your song of note? Yeah. As you know, there was quite a, a long list of albums we had to go through in that year of what was released. When it came to honorable mention, I was thinking of like what specifically that should represent. I knew of a particular album by the Melvins that came out in, in 89. It was called Ozma. That was their second album. This one contains some songs from the previous album, the Gluey Porch Treatment. It's not my favorite, but it's an important one. And the reason why I'm throwing this in as the honorable mention is because I feel like Melvin set the blueprint for that grunge, sludgy metal riff that was to come in music, rich with Sabbath heaviness. I think it's just kind of a testament to their legacy and staying power, because to this day, they're still a band. So kind of went um, out of left field for the honorable mention. Oh yeah, the song is called Claude. And every song on this album is like a minute and a half, maybe. There's a couple that are like six minutes. <laughs> All right, let's listen to Melvin's Claude. Shake a song of note. Here we go. That was Claude. Yeah. Jake's song. No, no, it's good. I, Melvin's I are promise that's the only uh, curveball. Just had that some fun with that. Uh, you know what I almost went with? Hmm. Mucky Pup. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you stink, but I love you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess I actually had it on this uh, one of those flimsy albums. You the remember? albums, yeah, that were real floppy. Yeah. Floppy, yeah. And yeah. it was, they called it by Billy and the Boingers. <laughs> you stink, <laughs> but I love you. Which was Billy Katz Band in uh, Bloom County. Oh. All right. Well, that's not what I went with. As I spent my freshman year in Arizona, and the beginning of my sophomore year, actually, I hung out and jammed with some cool musicians and kind mm. of made me stretch my musical boundaries. As fate would have it, a blues icon came and released his biggest selling album ever, and he's been around mm. for years and years and years. And that artist is John Lee Hooker. Yeah. And the album was called The Healer. Uh, the entire album was amazing. I remember listening to every song on that album. Um, but my song of note, uh, the one that kind of stood out above the rest, if I had to just pick one, is I'm in the Mood, which he played with Bonnie Raitt. Yeah, I was hoping you'd pick that one. <laughs> uh, I, I always loved Bonnie's sultry vocal growl and John Lee Hooker's authentic sort of blues delivery. Yeah. It's just like oozing with this emotion of the real life that he lived. Bonnie Raitt actually said that this was one of the most erotic experiences of my life recording this song. <laughs> kind of interesting. Wow. And she said it changed the way I thought about men in their 70s and 80s. Bonnie <laughs> 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 Hooker was older. Yeah. The voicing that she gets on her slide guitar fits so nicely with yeah. that. And she's a really good slide player. She is, yeah. 
famous for it. Sounds amazing. And the banter between the two during the song, and they have these little riffs, they go off each other. Mm. And the song actually won a Grammy Award. It was John Lee Hooker's only Grammy. And one of four of Bonnie Raitt's first four Grammys, because she had another album that came out, Think of Time album, mm-hmm. which had something to talk about and a bunch of things on it, which she also won Grammys for. She, she had a really big Grammy year. Anyway, I'm in the mood to listen to the song, because it's freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's my favorite uh, track on that album, actually. Oh, all right, good. Yeah. Good, so you do have taste. It's good. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> but, you know, I, I can't talk too much about taste. I was just talking about Monkey Pub. Alright. <laughs> well we so, always have taste, sometimes it's just not good. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> Alright, let's listen to I'm in the mood. I'm in the mood. I'm in the mood of love. I'm in the mood. I'm in the mood of love. I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit. I love, I love you, buddy. What can I do? What can I do? I'm in the mood. I'm in the mood. Some of your love, some of your love. I'm coming on. Some of your love, some of your love. I'm in the mood. Anyway, that's I'm in the mood by yeah. John Lee Hook and Bonnie Wright. Yeah, I was just trying to. Sorry, I play a little bit more than I normally would. I was just trying to get the right exact section for that. Oh, I just realized something. I'm drinking the Zima. And I think my balls are crawling back into the cavity. I'm starting to lose my manhood. <laughs> I think that's why they stopped making it. I think that's why they stopped making yeah, it. So it was, uh, guys, be careful. That's all I have to say. It was neutering men. <laughs> yeah, it's that thing of like, I was like, oh, this is refreshing. And after a while, I'm just kind of like, I'm okay. Maybe I need to spike it a little bit, make it stronger or something. Yeah. No, it's good. It's good. And plus, I got a beer as soon as this is done with. No, I'm with you. <laughs> All right. So let's jump into the main event. Jake, what obscure song is your number 12 song? <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be obscure from this point on. Okay, good, good. I feel let's, like let's, maybe let's I'm going to be more straightforward than you are. But let's see. Because like we said, we're both I don't know. I, I, like, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty open with this. So it's going to be kind of interesting if we double up. It'd be interesting if we like match like six or seven i'll be like oh my gosh right well that's yeah. what i'm saying i feel like either we're gonna like line up incredibly or be so off base and be and be surprised but i am like we said it's it's gonna be fascinating to see uh how this all plays out yeah because one of the ideas of this is we took the albums that were released that year so if it was a single that were released that year or was in the top 100 that year doesn't matter mm. a lot of the times the songs stay on the charts way longer than that album is for that year so we wanted to kind of lock it in and say that a full-size album had to be released that year in order for us to put it there. So that's kind of how we went about this. Yeah. And we wanted to spread genre as best we could if it was possible. I mean, mm-hmm. if there was no good R&B songs that year or if there was no good country songs that year, if there was no good whatever song that year, we may have skipped it. Yeah. And kind of what uh, I was approaching was just thinking of that era of like what's what's representing mm-hmm. that that year really well like sure right. there's gonna be some you know our own personal flavors but some songs i had to i was like no you can't deny this song it has to be it's gotta mm-hmm. be here got it so yeah moving into that on that note put it my number 12 because well let's just say all right it's love shack it's the b52s okay. it had to be in there it's one it's obviously one of the catchiest songs ever written like i said undeniably it's important i think it's and, the zima talking it probably well. I I picked the song without under the influence of Zima, 
But right, it represents to me uh, that 1989 kind of vibe. Sure. And I think also the video, for some reason, kind of reminded me of Pee Wee's Playhouse. There was something about it as a kid that that was kind of this fun, uh, play like Pee Wee's Love Shack or something. You know? <laughs> oh yeah, no, it, it's it's interesting. I mean, the whole story behind that song and how they mm -hmm. just like rented this car and they didn't know what they wanted to do, so they decided to drive around and the different ideas of what a love shack was yeah from the different people in the band yeah and then look it's like a it's a huge hit yeah and the banter that they have in there was actually something that actually happened in the studio and they just kept it in you're a what tin roof rusty tin roof, yeah. rusty yeah yeah that's a good song it's a good tune in a 80s sort of way so let's listen to love shack That's uh, Jake's number dance. 12 by the yeah. B-52s. Love Shack, baby. All right. Now, I went uh, a little different. I said right off the bat, since I did the blues song with John Lee Hooker from my song note. So I went with a band from New Jersey. Hard rock band. Next. My number 12 song. Uh -oh. They're from New Jersey, so I had to go with them, right? From Tom's River. And the band is called Skid Row. Yeah. And the song is called Youth Gone Wild. That's the one I went with. <laughs> and I thought about 18 in life for a second, but I went with the better song. Uh, their guitarist, uh, Dave Snake Sabo, mm -hmm. actually played with Bon Jovi briefly before uh, Sambora came on. Him and the bass player pretty much were the songwriting force behind Skid Row. And Sebastian Bach was singing at a wedding and got found, came over, and he had been actually talking to the producer, his management or something. And they were also connected to Bon Jovi. And they sent that around to him too. So he got it from two angles. And this song, Youth Gone Wild, was really the reason that he kind of joined the band. This mm. one kind of hit him and he felt it. He felt like it was really talking from him. And as I listened to the song, I could almost see Beavis in my mind. I don't know if this <laughs> ever actually happened. Yeah. Hey, hey, whoa, whoa, butthead. That girl is hot. <laughs> you know, with, yeah. with the big hair by like Sebastian uh, is a it's a pretty Sebastian. girl. I mean, Poison were prettier, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, then you'd have a butthead reply like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> um, although there, it is funny, they did review one that I found, and it was Monkey Business off one of their later albums. Slaves of the Grind is a great yeah. album. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> both of them fell asleep halfway through. <laughs> Reason but it did? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're always messing around. But I always like this one, which is probably why it's number 12 on my list. Pre-chorus really brings that rise to the chorus. I love the up-front up bass in the verse. And they have the double stops in the intro flowing into that main hook. The chorus is anthemic due to mm -hmm. kind of the effect that they get from doing a group vocal style, even in the chorus as they recorded it. So you can kind of feel it you have sebastian singing the main line and then it's we are the youth gone wild and they got the whole band to sing along during that part and it really feels anthemic and i remember the video 
where they're running and knocking down a wall and yeah. all sorts of stuff, trying to get to the Skid Row show, which is what happened back in the day, as I saw in New Jersey quite often. So, um, it's <laughs> <laughs> an amazing song. I love it. So let's listen to Youth Gone Wild by Skid Row from Jersey. That's my number 12. Sebastian has some pipes, huh? Oh, he can sing. He, he yeah. did Broadway afterward. And yeah. He was doing a whole bunch of different things. Do you remember that reality TV show on VH1 Supergroup? Did you ever watch that show? No, no. He was in Supergroup? Yeah, it was great because he was a singer. It had Scott Ian from Anthrax. Ted Nugent was in there. Oh, I wanted to see that. That would be Evan great. Evan Seinfeld from Biohazard on bass. And then Jason Bonham on drums. So they did a bunch of like covers and they were called... Damocracy, I think is their name. Oh, man. But it, was, it would be on reruns, and I would, no matter what, just watch that show. Like I loved, like, like CBS, they had the Supernova thing, and, and the, NX, the Rockstar oh, NXS. Oh, yeah, the NXS and, one, yeah. And that's, that's what I watched. I, I would have seen that. That would have been great. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know why I didn't see it. Anyway. All right. My number 11 is going to take a little turn. Sometime in the early 90s, I saw Alana Miles open up for Robert Plant in New Jersey. Her sultry voice and her bluesy feel just drew you in, especially for this one song, Black Velvet, which yeah. was perfect for her voice. The song is catchy on its own, Black Velvet, if you please, but I never really dug into the lyrics. And the song's about Elvis Presley, whose image was all over these Black Velvet paintings in the 70s and 80s, hence Black Velvet. All lines point to the king, that slow southern style. Mama's baby in the heart of every schoolgirl, like the women would go crazy. Love me tender, leaves him crying in the aisles. The way he moved, it was a sin, so sweet and so true. But in a flash, he was gone. It happened so soon. What can you do? I didn't know it was the whole Elvis thing. The whole song's about Elvis, yeah, 100%. I love the release of the solo and just her voice. I just like, and watching Mm -hmm. her perform, and it was was great. Yeah. The weird thing about that song is you think, oh, well, she had a big hit. She at least got some money out of it. She revealed that she was cheated, quote-unquote, by her record company from cashing in on the song. And she received her first ever royalty check from the song on April 1st, 2008. Wow. Almost 20 years later. Ouch. Because she had to pay off the tour costs. Oh, my God. She ended up having to pay $7 million off. What? $7 million? (laughs) On expenditures on her first three albums, yeah. Wow. You know, they always get you on the back end there. And that makes me mad for her. It is. I mean, you have this massive hit. and yeah. that's, that's messed up. But I'm really glad you picked that song because that was one of those ones that's like those singles that you just remember from that time. And it was it's just such a good tune. But it didn't make my list. So I'm glad you threw it in there. It's funny because every time I go to Ralph's or CVS and I'm like in the liquor aisle and trying to get my bottle of Old Crow or something. And at the bottom shelf, you can see Black Velvet. There's like this, I think it's a scotch or something. And every time I scan it and I see it, I get that song stuck in my head. Oh, okay. They should get some royalties for the, the booze sales. Yeah, I'm, maybe we need to try that on one of our other shows. <laughs> we'll do a, a dirty dozen of her. <laughs> and drink Black Velvet. There you go. All right, let's listen to Black Velvet by Atlanta Miles off the Atlanta Miles album. Go figure. They were really 
they're like, what should we call it? Uh, I'll just call it your name already. Let's go. Yeah, they were over it. <laughs> That is such a good song. Yeah, I was like, I want to listen to the whole thing, but I'm like, I don't want to be here for like five hours. But, uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, what do you have at number 11, my friend? Number 11. I picked the Chris Isaac song, pretty popular around that time, and it's Wicked Game. Oh, nice. My mom played the song to death, and I remember the video as a young boy for obvious reasons, if you remember it, and I liked that, but... I grew sick of the song quick, but later in life, I kind of heard the song differently and really felt it and I enjoy, enjoy it a lot now. I think it's a really cool, brooding, kind of moody song, breathy vocal. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's, I think it's still one of those timeless songs that are still so relevant. Yeah, you have that weird sort of vibe, you know, with that sculpted hair and... Yeah, the pretty boy that. face and, uh, and as a, his job was like a roofer at the time and then he ended up breaking with this song. He said there was some sort of late night event that inspired that song. And I quote, this one I wrote really late at night and it was written in a short amount of time because I remember the girl had called me and said, I want to come over and talk to you and talk to you as a euphemism. And she goes, I want to come over and talk to you until you're no longer able to stand up. And I said, <laughs> okay, you're coming over. <laughs> and I hung up and I'm like, I, oh my God, I know she's going to be trouble. She's always been trouble. She's a wildcat. And I wrote Wicked Game, the world's on fire and no one can save it but you and all that stuff. And he kept thinking about it. And, and I think that's kind of why he kind of went into that music video when you started seeing him, how sensual the, the video was, mm -hmm. which is part of the reason you liked it, right? <laughs> you know, him with the hot girl and all The beach stuff. scenes and, you know. That. But yeah. the whole album, actually, I mean, it's kind of, it sets that, that vibe. A lot of the songs sound similar in, in the, uh, the tone and the, the vibe, the feeling. Uh, at the time, probably didn't care as much, but now, in my mature listening ears, I appreciate it a little better. Yeah, so let's listen to Wicked Game by Chris Isaac. I never dreamed that I'd lose somebody like you. No, I don't fall in That's Wicked Game. And Jake's yeah. number 11. 11, yeah. That's good. No, it's a good tune. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, once again, it's the, he's the male Alana Miles. <laughs> yeah, they got that kind of tonality and that yeah. uh, sultry vocal. Yeah, it's a good comparison. Yeah. But yeah, like I said, it's just thinking of 1989 and just standout tracks, this one had to be in there for me. Okay, so what do you have at number 10? Oh, yeah. So number 10. This one is a, a song from Love and Rockets. It's called So Alive. It's not a band with a lot of hits that I know of, but this song in particular has caught my attention. I, I'm pretty sure it was a big uh, commercial crossover hit. 
but it was just kind of a good moody tune and it kind of reminded me of of the band t-rex like bang a gong or something i think it was like the vocals the delivery that was kind of like bolin's delivery no it's a good tune i mean uh, yeah this is their one not their one that's not fair but this is their definitely their biggest hit but is it because i don't know i i I tried to listen to some of their like greatest hits, and I was like, I don't know this song. I don't know this song. So, well, when I'm looking at the, uh, I'm on Spotify, mm-hmm. and So Alive has, well, let's just round it up and say nine million downloads, and the second one has one point, well, maybe two million downloads. So, mm-hmm. and then it's down to one point one. So it's down to one million downloads. So this is one that's like up and above yeah. all of them, really. Yeah. So uh, let's listen to So Alive. Yeah, Love and Rockets. It's interesting that song was done in one take. Was it? Yeah, straight through. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what's what is kind of one of the at least that's the urban legend behind it. But it was conceived by their their guitarist. This song, right? He said I'd I'd gone to a party on Saturday night, and I was married at the time, and I saw this woman at the other side of the room. I was completely transfixed, which is very odd because I was just married, and it was weird. I was just infatuated by her so much that I couldn't go near her or even speak to her. That's the overwhelming thing. I can't explain it to this day. That's why the first line is, I don't know what the color of your eyes are because I didn't get that close. I just saw her in the distance. Mm. So it's just kind of an interesting backstory on it. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's obviously their biggest hit. And then they all went and had solo careers, I think, to some degree. Did they? I know know very little about this. (laughs) (laughs) No, I know, I know. but it's like I said, it, around that time, I don't know, when you're that age and you just hear a song and then you continue to hear it in your life, you just just know that song, but not so much kind of what surrounds it or the people behind it and all that. So speaking of a band who I probably as I moved to my number 10, I never knew that I would put a band on my list that was called the Death Cult originally, uh-huh. uh, but they changed their name and their vibe a lot of times, mm-hmm. not to mention drummers. As much as, say, like, uh, Final Tap. (laughs) 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 They had no real hits until this album, Sonic Temple. And the name of the band was changed to simply The Cult. And the song that we're going to talk about is Fire Woman, one of their hits off that album. I think they had three hits off of this one album after having no hits off of none of all their albums up until this point. I remember seeing this on, I think, Headbangers Bowl. It's so interesting back in the day. I saw my music, at least uh, my metal music. I used to tape it on VHS. Mm-hmm. Same. And, and, ju- and just tape it and like, oh, I have to watch it. And it was, sometimes it was on late at night and I had school or whatever it was. And I'm like, oh, let me just tape it and uh-huh. out doing stuff. I come back and watch it. And it's like, yeah, this is good. I love the arpeggiated intro, uh, which automatically identifies the song. And then the main hook comes in with like a heavier screaming guitar. And the chorus, fire, you know, I'm not going to sing it, fire. <laughs> Smoke, she's a rise, and it's just so catchy and so good. I just, I'd kill it. So, fire, (laughs) whatever. Anyway, smoke, she's a rise, and it's just catchy and good. I love the down verse after the solo. It feels 
sort of a plant sort of vibe, but with a Morrison-esque sort of delivery. Well, yeah, Ian, Ian always had that sort of Morrison. He was kind of channeling a bit of that spirit, right? Yep. And letting the vocals just kick while the instruments took a break. Yeah, it was just it, it was one of these songs that I always just loved. And I had to put it on my list, and I did it number 10. Anything else? You seem to be talking about Ian and stuff. So what's your thought? I'll say, yeah, I love the song. It has all the parts you need. When it hits, you just want to shake your fist in the air and headbang. Um, I have a lot more to say, but I'm going to save a little bit. Okay. All right, so let's listen to Fire Woman <laughs> off of Sonic Temple, my number 10. Let's go. great song it's always interesting with the cult uh, during that time period in the late 80s mm. you had men and bands pretty much objectifying women and most of the songs even though they were about women they weren't necessarily about using and throwing away women or discarding them or treating them like they're talking about a fire woman i'm i don't think it meant to talk about anybody specifically no, it but it's just a woman with fire at that point yeah it was yeah it was adoration. more of lifting them up as opposed to there's a strong woman or whatever. No, that's true. Yeah. As opposed to come over in my bed and I'm going to put another notch here. Yeah. So it's quite different. Speaking of, of drummers too, John Tempesta is, is their current drummer. And he was in White Zombie and uh, mm -hmm. Testament. He did an album there. So. Yeah, it's amazing how many of those those players end up moving around a lot of these bands. Mm -hmm. All right. So that was my number 10. Um, my number nine is a complete departure for me. And I kind of like this song because it kind of reminds me of Jake's least favorite band. A little bit. Uh, I know what you're going to say. The name of the band is called Tears for Fears. Yep, yep. And the song is Sowing the Seeds of Love, yep. which kind of sounds like I am the wal walrus just a little bit. Or at least it's that vibe. Actually, let's have um, uh, Roland Arzabal, the lead singer, tell you a little bit more here. I was driving up the M4 from Bath to London. I was listening to Radio 4, which is a talk radio. And there was a program about a man called Mr. England. And he was um, sort of rediscovering all the traditional tunes that weren't so familiar in other areas of the UK. And there's, the one they were talking about was a traditional song called The Seeds of Love. So in my head, the title, Mr. England, Sowing the Seeds of Love, was instilled ages, ages before. From then on, it wasn't very difficult. Once you have a concept, it's, it's just basically plugging in the major version of I Am The Walrus. <laughs> yeah, and the band is really just a duet between Roland and Kurt Smith. Mm -hmm. And they have a support band around them. And it definitely feels like a little bit of psychedelia. Love the vocal delivery of the verse, which is almost a, smoke, a spoken word sort of feel, actually. And the rising note as it enters the chorus and it moves up. There's some sax horn synth thing in there. 
at the end of the chorus, which is pretty cool. The song has some nice grooves and it completely changes and into the bridge. There's Thiriel singing that's ramping up into the chorus. There's always different instrumentation in it as it's moving along, so it's not this static thing. It grows as a musical song, really, and it's almost like an orchestra would do it. And there's all yeah. these different parts, and it's really thought out. It really tries to stand up against, well, the 80s society at the time. High time we made a stand and check up the views of the common man and need to end the politics of greed and all that sort of thing. He goes, uh, Kurt Smith, which is not the person we just heard, uh, the other member of Tears for Fears, really. He says, people can say it sounds like I am the walrus or whatever, but... The sound quality alone is miles ahead of anything like that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he's got a little cockiness in him. Yeah. Know, uh, well, quality isn't, I think, what people are comparing it to, but yeah, okay. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's the Beatles, but a little higher quality, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, the Beatles influence is obvious in it, too, but it's not in a bad way. Like you said, it's 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 there. There's a lot of bands that have it, but it's just they kind of make it their own. This one, and you mentioned the psychedelia too, and I remember the video was really cool because it had, it was kind of visually captivating and had a lot sure. of that kind of weird um, stuff. Almost like the cover of Sgt. Pepper's, you know, it was kind yeah. of that look. But I remember this song coming on the radio and like in the car, in the summer, and just feeling good vibes. Like this is one of those songs that I just really loved. Very lush like you kind of mentioned, I think it was just, it's lush, like the composition, there's horns at the end that have a little section, um, real great production. So it was, it stands out and it's on my list, but it's not, what is it? This is your number? Uh, it's my number nine. Keep, keep the suspense out there, right. but I'm glad you had it in there, you know, for, for you to have yeah. a song that even remotely sounds like the Beatles in it in high on your list is pretty amazing. <laughs> anyway, let's listen to Sowing the Seeds of Love by Tears for Fears. That's Sowing the Seeds of Love, my number nine. So, Jake, what is your number nine, my friend? All right. This is a band called Fine Young Cannibals. And the song I picked is maybe not the first instinct of what people would pick. I picked Good Thing. I know She she Drives Me Crazy is is usually the, uh, the, the right. standout track, right? But I always like this song better. And it's funny because I remember borrowing this tape from a neighbor friend and I said my mom wanted to make a copy because I was embarrassed. <laughs> Although of course, I, owned, no, I, got it. I owned much worse. Yeah, it was just, it's really poppy, but it was just real catchy. I really liked this band and this album. The drum sounds always stood out to me with this band. It's highly sampled, but it's still kind of stuck out. Good, catchy song. So, yeah, good thing. Yeah, this is, this is going to be good. I'm definitely glad we're doing two separate lists, by the way. <laughs> um, but, but let's... Uh... Let's roll on through this with Good Thing, Find Your Cannibals. Your 
Okay, that's a good thing by the Fine Young Cannibals. So, yeah, no, it's a good tune. So, you ever play any of that stuff out? or I can't no. imagine you're playing Fine Young Cannibals out. You know, it, it'd be surprising. I think sometimes we, we used to pull out some weird stuff and uh, it would go over well, but no, that, that never came up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what do you have at number eight? Okay, my number eight... I think this is going to be on your list, but probably much higher. Let's see. I picked a band called Motley Crue off the Dr. Feelgood album. Okay. And I went with that exact track, Dr. Feelgood. Um, It was either this song or Kickstart My Heart, which was a close contender. It's the title track, and when that drum beat kicks in, you just take notice, takes you for a ride. I'm not the biggest Motley Crue fan, but this album I always thought was essential, and I always loved Tommy Lee's drum sound and his style, like, playing real big and so yeah this this is uh just one of those songs that is huge yeah that's uh it, it, yeah from this album the dr feelgood really stood out and so did uh yeah kickstart my heart as well it's in uh similar situation right was that this yeah it's on situation. this one, yeah mm-hmm. yeah the, those are the ones that i remember watching on uh and uh don't go away mad is another good one yeah i don't know I'm, that's too ballady for me <laughs> <laughs> well, you I know I love those ballads. I know you do. <laughs> if you haven't watched the documentary, even though it's kind of sanitized by Motley Crue, not sanitized, it's really kind of a little, little dirty, but it's kind of written from Motley, as if Motley Crue was writing it. Yeah, it's called The Dirt. It's on Netflix. Isn't that the name of the, Oh, okay. That's also a book, right, though? That yeah, yeah. They did? And it's... Uh, the dirt, and it's all of them about how they're growing up and being awesome and scoring with women everywhere. It's, that's sort of that's pretty much what it's about. They have a little bit of the dark side, but like like Vince Neil's uh, vehicular manslaughter issues and uh, Nikki's drug problems. That's mm. there, but put from their point of view, it's like nothing too bad. But let's just say you know we were down, we had a hard times, we struggled through, and we we're just awesome. You know mm-hmm. that sort of thing, but. Yeah, it's really graphic if you're not into that sort of thing. But, you know, it's not a kid. You know, I wouldn't show my kid that. No. But I don't mind watching it. Anyway, <laughs> here's Dr. Feelgood. like the breakdown in that song as it starts yeah. descending. I always kind of think that, like Joe, Tony Montana, say hello to my little friend. You know what I mean? That's kind of <laughs> how they made that video sort of vibe yeah. feel for yeah. that, you know, as if it was a big drug dealer. Yeah, it was good, good composition. The whole, the song has like all the little parts that you expect and it's, it's assembled well. Yeah. And, and McMars with the dive bombing, he was always, yeah, that's what he does, right? Yeah. <laughs> good old McMars. There you go. Um, it's always interesting. He was so much older than the rest of the band. I know. I think he's like looks, five years old. He looks yeah. like he's dead already now. <laughs> I know, but that's a lot of the a lot of the rock. Yeah, the health players. health issues too with him. Yeah, you know, and he was always drug free. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So I'm gonna jump into my number eight. Okay. And for those of you who are interested, I talked about this song on two podcasts actually, episode twenty two and episode twenty four. Because it's a cover. It was my song of note in episode 22, I believe. 
in the covers podcast number two on my list. It's from a band called the Red Hot Chili Peppers. It's off of Mother's Milk. Uh, and it's the first song that grabbed me from them, period. And even though it's a Stevie Wonder song, they did a better version than Stevie's version. Sorry, Stevie. It's called <laughs> Higher Ground. Yeah. And the verse and the groove is just insane in this. I got to chill the first time I heard the song. Frusciante plays so much, his guitar plays so much different than the original, if you ever hear the original. The funniest thing was Kiedis with the song. He said it was between this song. I'm glad we chose this one because the other song we were thinking to cover was Hanging Tough by New Kids on the Block. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, just this, Stevie knows no one's going to bring me down. That little kind of weird sort of offsides he does and, uh, and, and the punk feel on the outro a little bit. I've, I've always liked this tune. Yeah, good pick. All right, so let's listen to Higher Ground off of Mother's Milk. That's higher ground. Such a good song. It doesn't. It doesn't sound like '89 to me. Yeah, it sounds that, more modern, but yeah. But that's that's what I remember when that hit, and that's when yeah. it hit. Okay, my number seven is a totally different song, off of a totally different sort of vibe. It's off an album called Disintegration. That's by a band called The Cure. Yep. And the name of the song, of course, is Love Song. Yep. A wedding present from Robert Smith to his soon-to-be wife. He wanted to let his wife know that no matter how much he had to travel and perform, he would always love her. The interesting thing, really, about this Disintegration album is that Robert Smith refused to speak during any of the recording sessions the whole time. He would not speak to anybody. He would write stuff down. He wanted to create a certain atmosphere, which he later just blamed on the acid he was taking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was, he was doing a lot of drugs. Yeah, just wrote notes to the rest of the band, and oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. Imagine <laughs> trying to go into a, in a studio and just have, no, not talking, <laughs> no, right. no, 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 no cut, words. And cut an album, and a good yeah. one. Yeah, and <laughs> here it is, one of their top songs. Totally. Yeah, this album has some, some top songs on it, though. It wasn't even just like one good one off it, but yeah. No, it's true enough. It's weird, because the whole album's full of, it's like a self-absorbed gloom. Like, you could tell he was in this, like, weird... Well, he's, he's a weird dude anyway, but this song is brighter and more upbeat. And so it kind of stuck out to me. It's just a classic song, loved by all. Such a catchy hook in there on the, the keys, and it's just, it's so moody, it's classic. Yeah, so let's listen to Love Song by The Cure, my number seven. interesting that's one of the rarer songs that i will even though there's guitar parts in it i end up feeling the keys so much yeah yeah the bass and the keys really drive this song that's like where all the hooks are and the mm -hmm. well the guitar is there too but as, as i said yeah. it just for this song it just kind of pulls me in more mm -hmm. in the keys and such 
But um, all right. So what do you have at number seven, my friend? All right. Let me look. Uh, my number seven is from a band called Aerosmith off the Pump album. Nice. Um, and the song that I chose from the album is called Love in an Elevator. I borrowed my mom's pump tape all the time and I listened to it repeatedly in my Sony Walkman. And not to mention just the heavy rotation the song had on MTV and on the radio. It's just such an iconic song. Although What It Takes is my favorite song from the album, but they were their peak. Like this was Aerosmith. And in my mind, it was ingrained that this is the song. Oh, no, totally. I remember seeing them live in concert. And it was one of my first big, big shows that I went to see, as opposed mm -hmm. to seeing like club stuff, seeing smaller stuff. This was like a big show. And my girlfriend at the time got me tickets. And uh, I think it was uh, Black Crows opened up for them. Oh, wow. So it was a good show. And, but he was crazy when he was playing the song and jumping around and <laughs> doing all that stuff. It was, it, was, it was just, they were fantastic. So let's listen to Jake's number seven, Love in an Elevator by Aerosmith. And let's listen to the preamble because I kind of like the preamble. Yeah. Second floor, hardware, children's wear, ladies' lingerie. Oh, good morning, Mr. Tyler. Going down. <laughs> interesting joe perry uh when he's in the elevator in the video he's making out with his wife yeah so, who's a hot model so it works out good <laughs> and, and by the way this was episode 20 that this was on so yeah i remember that one yeah that was alan. i wasn't on it but uh, yeah that was alan yep uh, all right so that was aerosmith yeah. uh you're in number seven so uh, what's your number six my number six this is another band that was already covered previously, and I almost didn't include Tom Petty in this list since Dirty Dozen covered it already, but it had to be done. It's such a strong album from 1989. It's Full Moon Fever, obviously, and the song I picked was Running Down a Dream. But this one's more of just that upbeat, fun rocker tune. Yeah, this um, was our 13th podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was earlier. It was a cool animated video for this one. Although around that time, he had a lot of weird videos, but so that's why I threw it in. Yeah, that great riff that kind of starts the song. Me and Del were singing. Yeah. Uh, the, the accents in the verse, the acoustic strum breaking up the chorus. And it's yeah, just strung throughout. Mm -hmm. It was one of my favorite Petty tunes. And that whole comic strip, which was which was what? Little Nemo in Slumberland that it was based off of. That guy, with, you know, little baby with the cigar. Uh-huh. Running around with them and everything. It's kind of like a, a trippy sort of vibey thing. Okay, Running Down a Dream by Tom Petty. Yeah, no, that's a good tune. Uh, yeah, feels good. It's, one of my, it's fun. It's one of my favorite tunes by him. 
Absolutely. All right. So let me jump into my number six. And I don't think you'll have this on yours. Hmm. I'm guessing because it's a Jersey thing. Uh, A Jersey-based band, of course. So good right off the base. That's where I was from, by the way. Uh, Interesting feel. It kind of fit in that space right where alternative met rock in the 80s. It's by a band called The Smithereens. Off of their album that's called Number 11. And the song is A Girl Like You. Yeah. It's on my list. It's on my list. Oh, good man. Good man. You know what? I love the smithereens. I do and too. It's, the- it's one of those, like, I'm not even, it's not a guilty pleasure. Like, I proclaim that from the mountaintops that I love the smithereens. <laughs> and this is oh. actually my favorite song of theirs. I know Blood and Roses is like the big one that people like, but this is yeah, my. Clues Before and After, Top of the Pop. <clears throat> I'm, I'm a f- fan of the smithereens. Yeah. Especially New Jersey. Since they're from there. They played all the colleges. They were all over the place. You mm. couldn't go out without tripping over them. But it was so amazing. And when A Girl Like You hit was just... I love that big rock guitar. You know, the big open chords with the dirty distortion and let it ring out. I'm like... Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. I'm like... Yes. Yeah. It's funny that album 11... 11, yeah. ...was inspired by two things. It was Ocean's 11, mm-hmm. which they're a big fan of, and Spinal Tap. Because this one goes to goes 11. Goes to 11, yeah. <laughs> the drums kind of whip you in the song. Mm-hmm. The vocals are great. Denuncio kind of described his band as ACDC meets the Beatles. <laughs> oh, that's actually interesting. That's a, a good way to say it. Uh, he's the lead singer, or was the lead singer. Uh-huh. He died yeah. uh, of complications from obesity and a lot of things he was dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, just, it's kind of sad. But they were playing that for a while. Originally, this song was supposed to be the theme for Say Anything. Right. It was based on the dialogue from the movie, and they wanted to change the song but not give that much away. Mm-hmm. And he was like, no, no, I'm not changing my song. <laughs> Screw Good. it. I'm, I'm going to yeah. keep it off. Yeah. Because the song, it, it's perfect, and it should have uh, been saved to be released elsewhere. And Madonna was supposed to sing background on the oh, song. Oh, that's what I heard, yeah. But someone else sang yeah, it. Maria Vidal, because, right. uh, because Madonna didn't show. She but was, the, the female vocals on the song are perfect. I don't think mm-hmm. I would have appreciate as much with madonna although think about how that song could have exploded even more if madonna was singing on it yeah yeah this song's special it's just a feel-good tune i like how you said it's kind of acdc with beatles because it has that the hard rock chord ripping with the the melody of, of beatles kind of put in there yeah they... and i actually put this song on a mixed cd for my wife when we were dating so that's another oh, uh, a special reason why i like the song yeah i think the song had made a mixed cd or a mixed tape it's gotta be yeah day. Uh, so yeah girl like you this is just killer so here we are by the smithereens All right, Girl Like You by the Smithereens. Awesome song at number six. So good. So somewhere good. else for Jake. So let's move over to my number five. I was down to five rap songs that could make my list. I figured it was such a big year for rap songs. There was Funky Cold Medina, Wild yeah. Thing, Bust a Move, Me So Horny, and Shake Your Rump, <laughs> right? Uh, since three of those songs were written by Young MC, both of the Tone Loke songs were written by Young MC as well. Yep, that's right. So I went with his song. 
bust a move. Always has kind of elevated mm-hmm. view of Young MC in my head since he was one of the few rap artists to use real instruments when he could. A uh, guitarist I used to play with in Arizona actually played some uncredited guitar for him. Really? But just like doing some samples of some chords. Like yeah, he was in still. the same studio doing something. And he just said, hey, can you come in here? Come here, come here. And he, and he come in and just did some stuff. So he never got cool. paid for it, really. It was just like a little, it was just a nice thing to do. Yeah. Flea played bass on Bust a Move. I didn't know that. Red Hot Chili Peppers, yeah. Oh, and, wow. he's like, and this is a quote from him. He goes, I have a bit of taste in my mouth for only getting paid $200 for the track. I feel <laughs> I got ripped off. <laughs> <laughs> the bass line I wrote ended up being a major melody of the tune. And I felt I deserved some songwriting credit and money because yeah. it was a number one hit. But the people argue, the producer argued that he just played what they told him to play. Mm. So, well, anyways. that's a problem when you don't uh, draft up some documents before you yeah. do that. <laughs> and it's obviously a real catchy groove. It sort of started that whole bust a move thing. Yeah. And it stood apart sort of from the rap world because it, yeah. it was clean lyrics as opposed yep. to me so horny, for example. <laughs> yeah, for example. <laughs> Uh, Young MC was Marvin Young. That's won a Grammy for Best Rap Album. And this is a, a quote from Young himself. People looked at rap and hard rock as the same type of music that you can slam the door after you argue with your parents and bang your head in defiance. My record wasn't necessarily rebellious, but it was clever enough to grab a decent segment of people who didn't listen to rap music. I get a lot of plays on pop stations, but there are no oldies rap stations, so you get these records that outsold Bust and Move that can't play any way anymore. Mm-hmm. With all the cussing about killing people, a 16-year-old out of rebellion, blah, blah, blah. They're not going to get a babysitter to go to a club to hear about shooting people and raping women. They'll <sighs> go to a club to hear Baby Got Back or Bust a Move or Wall Thing because it's a fun time out. Yeah. Although I think Bill Cosby may have written Funky Cold Medina, at least partially. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> because he slips things in people's drinks and gotcha, gotcha. the girls do what they want. Anyway, but, uh, but Bust a Move for me always kind of stood out. No, good good pick. I didn't give, regretfully, enough space for late 80s hip-hop, but I kind of wish I did, and I'm glad you threw that in there because that is a, a good one. Yeah, so here's my number five, Bust a Move. You're on a mission and you're wishing someone could cure your lonely condition. Looking for love in all the wrong places No fine girls, just ugly faces From frustration, first inclination Is to become a monk and leave the situation But every dark tunnel has a light of hope So don't hang yourself on a celibate rope The movie's showing, so you're going Could care less about the vibe you're blowing Music's instruction anyway <laughs> Sitting in your row She's dressed in yellow She says hello, come sit next to me You fine fellow, run over there without a second to lose And what comes next? Hey, bust the move <laughs> This is this is the, the uh, highlight of the whole episode right now. Get my rapping in there. That's awesome. We need to uh, let's do some karaoke one day, and you'll get up and do that. Oh, I can do that. I, you know, I can do like a yeah, LL Cool J, and I'll do um, Beck's Loser. If you do that, I'll do Loser, and we'll we'll rap our white butts up. Yeah, I can definitely do like the, even the white rap, like the bare naked ladies. The one week. Uh, yeah, yeah. He does all that stuff. I know all that. I I have, I, I have this weird issue with my life i memorize songs i memorize lyrics and they sit with me and i can't sing (laughs) (laughs) it's like the the, the worst thing in my head ever anyway so that said and maybe i'll play a couple of seconds of that just to kind of embarrass myself a little bit the people need it (laughs) what's your number five my friend 
Uh, number five. Okay, this is a band you already highlighted. It's Skid Row, off the same album, obviously. But you know I gotta go with the power ballad. Of course you do. So, I know exactly what you although, mean. Although, although Youth Gone Wild was a close contender, I had to do I Remember You. And this song stood out to me when the album came out. My favorite song on the album. It highlights Sebastian's crazy vocal ability, although a lot of songs do. And the band's kind of songwriting sensibility. But just when I think of that album, this is the track that, that stood out to me. Wow. And it's funny because I, I like Slave to the Grind better. And that's more, that's when they kind of got a little harder and heavier and more like kind of a little speed metal thrashy. But yeah, you know, I have a soft spot in my heart for power ballads. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was like, oh, he's going to go with 18 in life. I'm like, yeah, that's I a good song. You... I got that. I'm like, he went with what? He went with what? <laughs> No, it's it's fine. It was a good song for them. It's yeah. it's that sort of thing that every heavy metal band did at the point point. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, it, it was it's a good song. It's a good song. If you if you like that sort of thing, and I do, I <laughs> do. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Here's "I Remember You" by Skid Row. This is for all the ladies out there because it's the only people who love this song. <laughs> the ladies and me. I think I'm getting that Zima feeling in my pulse. (laughs) It's a song. You love it. You love it. Admit it in front of everybody. Oh, you know what? (laughs) There's moments I kind of like it. I mean, if I'm sending a mixtape for a girl or something, I get it at the time. Okay, one day you'll admit it. But I remember you. It's like, I hope so. (laughs) This was like the the prom song, right? Around 1989. Yeah, Yeah. they had all of that. Slow dancing to Skid Row. Of course. It's that and Poison and all that other stuff. We understand you had to go that way, and I understand it's the estrogen you know, system. You know, you shouldn't be surprised that I always will go with the power ballad. Uh, no, I get you. Totally get you. <laughs> All right, so what is your number four? It, it looks like my four, three, and two have been covered already now. So oh, good. So what was four? My number four was the Tears for Fear song, Seeds of Love. Oh, nice. Okay. It's really high up there. Like I said, I have fond memories of being in the car in the summertime and just feeling good listening to that song, so... I okay. had to put it way up on the list. Okay, so it's four. Good. My number four is from a small band that we covered in our second podcast we ever did. They came out with an album that year called The Real Thing. It's a little band mm. called Faith No More. It isn't necessarily my favorite song from the album, but I thought that it made such an impact to 1989, the way that it hit and kind of rose them to fame. Mm-hmm. The name of the song is Epic. Yeah. And when I think of somebody who was coming into there, not necessarily as a Faith No More fan, that would be the song. They'd be like, oh, I remember that song. And epic is that. I remember when I first saw the video, the whole lore behind the fish at the end of the song, mm-hmm. some lie that the Faith No More came up with that it belonged to Bjork. Yep. You ever hear that? Yeah. Yep. 
over time it <laughs> came out that that may not be true but yeah, evidently the, st- and- the story went that the bjork gave the fish to uh roddy from faith no more mm-hmm. at a party at his house and that bjork never saw the fish again when it dies at the end of the thing it was just more of a a big epic ending to the song yeah pretty epic and it was always well what is this song about because it was the first song ever written by Patton because he came aboard the the lyrics at least the song was already written by the band before he even got there that whole album he always talking about it and like what is it I think a couple times I'd heard it like it's sin what is it but I know that he doesn't say that at least not in any lyrics I've ever seen but it kind of like a misheard lyric for me but Patton said it was about sexual frustration sex and lack of sex most people don't like to talk about him here to tell you that's what Epic's really about Hmm. here's a quote from Patton Back in 2005, he said, believe it or not, Epic was my best attempt at impersonating Blondie's rapture. Lyrically, <laughs> I was more concerned with the rhyme scheme he would say that. than any other constant train of thought. The lyrics mean whatever you want them to mean. They don't belong to me anymore. They're your responsibility now. <laughs> That's, that is the worst rap anyone's ever done is Blondie's rapture. Oh, well, at least it was emulated well by yeah. Mike. <laughs> great kind of exploding piano and everything at the end and the kind of mixture of classical influences on a rap and it was one of the first rap metal songs and that's why i said mentioned before red hot chili peppers higher ground mm-hmm. and mother's milk came they were very much in that space too yeah and um, that started the whole conflict between them actually epic did yeah ketis and uh Patton. yeah and they went back and forth and you usually either like one or the other i like both same. But at the time, you couldn't fall on both sides. So anyway, let's listen to Epic off of The Real Thing. Let's listen. Anyway, that's mm-hmm. number four, Epic. Now, my next song is off of an album that you talked about before. And once again, this is not necessarily my favorite song. This is off of our 13th podcast, A Man Called Tom Petty. Oh. An album called Full Moon Fever. But when I started thinking of what song would people want to hear by him off of that album, it landed on Free Fallen. Mm-hmm. That's what I went with. He wrote it with Jeff Lynne of ELO and the Wilburys, actually. This is a Tom Petty quote. Jeff Lynne and I were sitting around with the idea of writing a song, and I was playing keyboard, and I just happened to hit on the main riff, intro the song, and Jeff said, that's a really good riff, but there's one chord too many, so I cut back a chord, I started to sing the verse, and then he starts laughing. Honestly, I thought it was amusing Jeff. And then I got to the chorus, and he leaned over to me, and he said the word free and I went to sing that, and he goes, no, take your voice up and see how it feels. So I took my voice up an octave or two, but I couldn't get it all in. So I sang free, you know, he, he did the whole, whole, holding the free out, yeah. and then free fallen. And he knew at that moment he had done something amazing. Wow. And it kind of went from there. 
acoustic intro versus perfect at living in the studio. He came up with the lyrics for the, for the verse and the chorus is epic and bass is solid. A lot of LA references in it. Yep. Uh, the background vocals highlight his voice at the very end. It's really well done. As Taylor Swift said that this song inspired her to become a musician. Oh yeah. So it's interesting. Tom Petty said, there's not a day that goes by that someone doesn't hum free fall into me or I don't hear it somewhere. So hmm. it was a top 10 hit for over seven months. Yeah, oh, good. Amazing song, amazing album. Yeah, that album, I tell you what, when I got that album, you know, it was back in the day you bought an album. I bought Full Moon Fever and I love every song yeah. on that album. It's a rare occasion when that happens, but it does. Straight through, uh, if you've never heard a Tom Petty album, whatever, you like Free Fallen and you want to get into him, just pick up that whole album. Mm. It's so good. And that's not even Heartbreakers. That's just him. Anyway, let's listen to Free Fallen. Bad boy, I don't even miss her. I'm a bad boy for breaking her heart. That's Tom Petty and Free Fallen. Good pick. Off of Fallen Fever number three. So, Jake, we're down to three left for you, my friend. So, what is number three for you? Well, the last three have been discussed already. So, <laughs> my, okay, uh, that's fine. My number three is the, the Cure song, Love Song. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. These, uh, these first three songs, surprisingly, right away, I just knew one, two, three. Like, I numbered them. With the whole list, I, I put in one, two, three, and then the rest kind of fell in place after that. But these were my essential, like I knew they were going to be the top three. So yeah, The Cure was my number three, just because I feel like Love Song is, is that important. Absolutely. Okay. So what song that we've played already is number two? Number two was uh, Our Mutual Love for Smithereens. I put Girl that Like You, good number man. Two, Girl Like You, so that's high up there. Good. All right, so I'll go with my number two. Okay. I needed to have some metal okay. in this countdown and it may not be a song everybody likes or knows but it's a song i absolutely adore one of the best albums in the metal space or actually industrial metal came out that year it's called the mind is a terrible thing to taste oh ministry and it's ministry wow that's that high up on your list huh i love this tune when this hit i was just like i was like it just took it up to that next level and with the sampling from full metal jacket and everything in thieves which yeah, is the song thieves. I'm going to talk about. Wow. It's pretty much just an E minor chord, and they have some emphasis F minor chord in it. That's like most of the song. No, yeah. It's and it's, and it's a little G hit on the, like the vocals, uh-huh. but but the staccato guitar sounds like, like a machine in the intro, and it's just like all of it, and it's all about political corruption, and it actually seems kind of poignant in today's society. Sure. Because there's a lot of uh, police officer thing in there, and uh, I can't hear you. I still can't hear you. Yeah. Wow. For me, it was just such a huge song. And I, when that, when that album was on there, it was like, boom, that has to be on my list. That's on my list somewhere. Mm-hmm. And damn the torpedoes, I have to get that in there. So <laughs> I yeah. made that my number two. The, the same. But for me, this this was the contender for the honorable mention. Because I was like, I don't know if it's going to represent 1989 in the big space that we kind of view it as. But it was it was right there with me of like, but I love this album. And Thieves in particular was the song that I wanted to pick. But 
I was like, I, I'm just going to kind of slide it down. And it was right there next to Melvin's. And I just decided to go with yeah. Melvin's. But I'm, I'm glad, glad you did do this one in. Uh, yeah, mine is this is me as 18 years old. And I was into metal quite a bit at this point in time. I was into a lot of music, too. You know, as we listened before, Free Fallen and Tom Petty, I love, too. Mm-hmm. I, I was open to this wide gambit of music. And when I heard this, I was just blown away. It's interesting that Ministry came up. And if you listen to the first couple albums, you think you were listening to The Cure. Yeah. Yeah. And then they, the album before this one was where they kind of yeah. found industrial. Al, Al Jurgensen and his heroine will make a lot of heavy industrial music. <laughs> yeah. Thieves is amazing. So, uh, and let's listen to Thieves by Ministry. Sorry, I had to listen to the end part. It's <laughs> oh, <great. laughs> so awesome. Mm-hmm. All right, so my number one. This is a song we haven't played before. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, this we did on our podcast, on our 17th podcast. And it's one of those songs that were so iconic at the time. It went, what's the quote? Is it going to be... What, what once was a loner anthem, two middle fingers pointed at the world is now a sing-along. So many grimly clad music fans have related to the message of alienation it somehow became a black flag waving for unity. That was a quote from Rolling Stone. My number one song is off an album called Pretty Hate Machine. Yeah. Head Like a Hole. Here's Gary Newman, one of the fathers of Industrial, uh, with comments on the song on an interview with RIML TV. So let's listen to her for a second. If I could have been a fly on the wall of any album being made, then for me it probably would have been Pretty Hate Machine, the, the, the Nine Inch Nails album. Because I think that set a standard that has been almost impossible for anyone since to, to beat. You know, the, the aggression on that and the, the absolute raw right. power of it is, and it's just phenomenal piece of work, you know. And my head like a hole is probably got the two best choruses ever written both in the same song you know it's just you know that chorus comes in and you just go oh that is unbelievable and then it gets even better there's another what what kind of genius would think of that he's amazing so i mean that's pretty high praise from yeah uh, that's great somebody somebody who really was one of the starting things The, the whole uh song and the band name for that matter was inspired by our number two artist Ministry, or Al Jorgensen, mm-hmm. and he was talking about ministry when he talked about it. He said, listening to ministry is like having a nine-inch nail hammered into your head like a hole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Trent Reznor said, I like that. <laughs> 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 uh, for me, it's just, uh, 
he's talking about rather dying than giving in to temptation. And the drums are instantly recognizable in the song. Uh, the cry and then that driving synth tone and the God money stuff and the verse flows so so smoothly into the music chorus explodes and the back half to the bow down before the one you serve you're going to get what you deserve and all that stuff yeah brings me back to the late 80s and actually a little bit of the early 90s but i remember when this hit in in uh, 89 and oh my gosh and it's such it's one of those tunes that is just so iconic and so amazing uh yeah yeah so no, i agree and i think <clears throat> i would be right there with you but I think where I kind of lean on the same thing with the Faith the More thing, for me, it felt like, I know it was 89, but it felt to me more like 90, 91. And so that's my own like kind of bias where I might lean a little bit to the, the into the 90s bent. But yeah, I'm glad you, you brought it up, both of these, because they are, they came out then, they should be acknowledged for that year. Let's listen to the best song of 1989, <laughs> in my opinion, Head Like a Hole. So good. <laughs> yep. All right, Jake, what is your number one, my friend? All right, my number one, you mentioned it way too soon. To me, it's not only the top song of 1989, it should be the top of tons of lists, and it's Firewoman by The Cult. It's nice. such a great rocker. It's timeless. To me, when this song, it's like, it's probably one of my like top favorite songs ever. So when I saw that, I was like, like I said, instantly when I looked through the list of everything that was released, I saw that and I knew, number one, that was going to be it. So that's <laughs> my number one pick. Okay. No, I get it. And yeah. I, as I said, I like the song. It made my 12 and I said I had 30. And I think that's totally. legitimately 30 that I was debating on putting in. Yeah. So I'm going to go through my list again and uh, get ready to go through your list after I finish. All right. Okay. Just to remind everybody what Rob's list is, and which is the only one you have to, you don't even have to listen to Jake's after this, but... You can if you want. You want to. Anyway, my song and note was I'm in the Mood by John Lee Hooker from The Healer. And that was also with Bonnie Raitt. My number 12 was Youth Gone Wild by Skid Row. My number 11 was Black Velvet by Alana Miles. My number 10 was Firewoman by The Cult. Number 9 was Sowing the Seeds of Love by Tears for Fears. Number 8 was Higher Ground by The Red Hot Chili Peppers. Number 7 was Love Song by The Cure. Number 6 was A Girl Like You by The Smithereens. Number five was Bust a Move by Young MC. Number four was Epic by Faith No More. Number three was Free Fallen by Tom Petty. Number two was Thieves by Ministry. And number one was Hit Like a Hole by Nine Inch Nails. Jake, can you remind us of yours? Just curious before I do, did you have any like Don Henley or Phil Collins kind of a close to your list? I love the Donna Henley album, The yeah. End of the Innocence. I think those those should be honorable mentions in some capacity because those are just like such like perfect albums. Yeah, I mean, there's so many that I want to mention. I know. Because there's it's so really many, hard. like We Didn't Start the Fire by Billy Joel. Or oh, I'm a big Satriani fan. Big Bad Moon is a great song. Beastie Boys. Overkill Elimination is a great tune. Yeah. Uh, Gutter Ballet by Savage Hodge. Uh, there's some Tesla. That's great. Love Song right. by Tesla is uh-huh. great. Uh, Bangles, Eternal Flame. 
Right. Yeah, I had that one on there for a little Bang while. Bang by Gorky Park. Flying High Michelle by Enough's Enough. Yeah. I wish it would rain down would be the one that I would have probably put From on Phil Collins. Phil Collins. Yeah. yeah. I think that uh, was also. Uh, no, no, no. It wasn't that one. It was a funny. What was it? Something about heaven. It's pretty much the sad song about. Uh, it's another day for you and me in paradise. Yeah. That was the other one right, we had right. there. A thing called Love Black Cat by Janet Jackson. Another one I thought about. Yeah. So many songs on here. I know. That's that the thing, too. It's Rockin' like, in the Free World by Neil Young came out that year. Oh, it did? I didn't even know. Yeah. That. <laughs> you know, all of that stuff is just like, uh, yeah, that's great. That's a great. I, I love Crossfire. I didn't put Steve Ray Vaughan on here. Yeah. I was like, oh, I could have put that. Or I didn't put Love Shack. I didn't put Great White, uh, Once Bitten, Twice Shy. Yeah, and I Great White's, And Great White's the only band I saw in 2020 this year. Uh, so. Oh, yeah. Jack Russell. Jack Russell, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because, you know, the, everything shut down. Right. Yeah. Okay. But anyway. So yeah, back to my list. Okay, so okay, number twelve. What's, okay, what's the twelve? I got uh, B-52's Love Shack for number twelve. Number eleven is Chris Isaac with Wicked Game. Ten is Love and Rockets So Alive. Nine is Fine Young Cannibals and the song was Good Thing. Uh, Motley Crue is number eight with the song Doctor Feelgood. Number seven is Aerosmith's Love in an Elevator. Six Tom Petty and it's Running Down a Dream. Skid Row's number six. Oh, I'm sorry, five. I Remember You, um, Tears for Fears, number four, Sowing the Seeds of Love, number three is The Cure Love Song, two is Smithereens, A Girl Like You, and number one is The Cult, Firewoman. I still give you credit for The Smithereens. I was not expecting that. That's a cool, that's a cool funny, thing. Sometimes I, I didn't know that you and, the, you and me loved that band so much. Right. That's, that's what I mean. Sometimes we'll be talking and all of a sudden we're like, oh, you love this weird band? So do I. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you, everybody, for coming along on our journey of taking a time travel back to 1989. I hope you guys like it. If you do, make sure you subscribe to our podcast on whatever service you listen to it on and uh, like it. And feel free to comment, please. Our show notes are on www.dirtydozenpodcast.com. But if you want to make a comment or something, just search for Dirty Dozen Podcast on Facebook. And we have an active page there. Please chat, talk to us. We're trying to make a community there where you guys can uh, be, be involved. We'd love to hear what you think of the 80s type of idea. And we're going to go with 1988. It's going to be coming out in uh, two weeks uh, with uh, Stephen Petrie helping me out for that one. And then, in, and then in 87, uh, Jake will be coming back again two weeks after that. And we're, we'll keep rolling through this season. So it's going to be from 1989 to 1980 and maybe a wrap-up show at the end and that'll be our current season and that should take us through the end of the year thanks so much and i will see you in two weeks god bless and hope to chat with you soon online be well